This is Lindsay Jones, NFL reporter from The Athletic, and welcome back to the NFL Power Rankings podcast. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, NFL editor here at The Athletic. We're back. There's been some major news, and even just today, a ton of news. Lindsay, how are you feeling about it all? Yeah, it's been kind of a crazy last couple of days. I mean, there have been a lot of updates uh, around the NFL, even in the hours since we posted our power rankings on The Athletic on Tuesday morning. And we're going to get to all of that news, especially all of the quarterback news that's going on today in the podcast. But let's get into our rankings. Top five, bottom five. Yeah, so we're going to get right into this. We are going to start with the bottom five, which is going to encompass a lot of this news that we are mentioning. So we're going to start with the bottom five. So number 32, no surprise at all here, the Miami Dolphins. Number 31, the New York Giants. Number 30, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number 29, the New York Jets. And number 28, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So just a month ago, John Maris had this quote. He said, Eli Manning has, he said his hope in an ideal world for this season that Eli Manning has a great year and Daniel Jones never sees the field. That in an ideal world, that that's what would happen this season for the New York Giants. That is not what happened. Uh, in the first two games, Eli Manning led the offense to an average of just 15.5 points. And now today, it has been officially announced that Daniel Jones will be the starter next week. Lindsay, you spent some time in Giants camp this summer. What are your thoughts on the situation there? What are your thoughts on Jones and just what it means, Eli's legacy there and and everything, reaction to the news? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts um, (laughs) about this this move. One is that uh, this is the right call. This is what the Giants needed to do. Um, Their team is, I mean, they're number 31 in our power rankings. I think that's probably pretty consistent around the league. I think what we've seen weeks one and two is that they're hardly competitive right now, and they are one of the worst overall teams in the league. So, uh, and that's with Eli Manning, and they have a lot of flaws that are bigger than just Eli Manning. But it's just become clear that they're not going to be competitive with Manning. And the only reason that they were going to keep playing Eli Manning while having Daniel Jones sitting on the bench was if the Giants were winning. And that hasn't been happening so far. Um, So yes, I believe this is the right call to make, but I'm also surprised that they've made it because they've been fairly stubborn in their insistence that Eli Manning is their guy. And that, you know, when, when Dave Gettleman and uh, owner John Mara and Pat Shermer, the head coach, looked at their roster all offseason and all through training camp, They looked at that roster and they thought, sure, we can be competitive in the NFC East when weeks one and two showed us that that's really not the case. So, you know, they've just been so stubborn in their their insistence on sticking with Eli Manning. And it's really hard to move on from a franchise quarterback, especially a guy who has done as much for the Giants over the last 15 years as Eli Manning has done, who has been as much of a professional, um, the kind of the consummate teammate, so well-liked within that building from ownership on down, it's really hard to move away from that type of situation. But they put themselves in the situation when they decided to pick up his option last year or during the offseason and, you know, and then use it to the number six overall pick on a quarterback. They really kind of set this up. Um, I just thought it was going to happen later in the year. I thought it would be, you know, week seven or week eight or after their bye week as we were kind of getting into mid-November when they finally would have come to some sort of realization that this is what they had to do. But here we are, week two. They've um, they've pulled the plug on Eli Manning's Giants career, you know, barring, I guess, some sort of injury situation to Daniel Jones. But I don't see them flip-flopping here. I don't think this is the type of situation we saw a couple of years ago when uh, they benched Eli Manning for one week. 
let Geno Smith came come in and start and then brought Eli back the next week. I think this is the decision that they're making and it's going to stick, like I said, barring some sort of injury situation. So, you know, this is, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of sad to see Eli Manning's Giants career end this way, but the reality is, is that very few guys actually get a happy ending, even guys who have won two Super Bowls like Eli Manning did there. And now it's really time for the Giants to move forward. And as we look at what the Giants need to do next, I mean, their their defense is a mess. Janoris Jenkins, as I mentioned in the blurb on our power rankings today, Janoris Jenkins was calling out um, other players on the defense, you know, saying he can't cover for 10 seconds uh, because they're, you know, they're not getting any pass rush and their their entire defense is struggling. Um, there have been some very questionable offensive scheme things going on. They've been they've been pretty committed to giving the ball to Saquon Barkley very early in the games. And they've actually gone up and have led in both week one and week two. And then they stopped feeding Saquon Barkley. And if you want Daniel Jones to succeed here, they need to understand what the strength of their team is. And the strength of their team is Saquon Barkley in that running game. And that's what is going to help Daniel Jones survive as he now kind of tries to lead this otherwise very young team and get those reps and get comfortable being a starting quarterback as they look forward uh, to 2020. So, you know, I think it's the right decision. I just am very curious what the Giants are going to do now to try to make Daniel Jones successful and, you know, try to make this this work that he's going to get over the next 14 games um, beneficial as they move forward. Because I don't think this right now is really about 2019. This is about building for the long-term good of the New York Giants and how can they maximize Daniel Jones now and get him the experience that's going to pay off later. So Eli Manning, if his career is indeed over, he's going to finish uh, with a 500 record, 116 and 116, which seems seems about right based on kind of all the stuff he's been through there, the really high highs, the really low lows that, you know, the, the good times seem very far away now of those two Super Bowl wins, but... You know, it's it is weird. It seems it does seem a much more official end of the era than it did when he was benched. When was that? Two years ago, last year, when he was benched um, for Geno Smith, and everybody really flipped out when that happened because I think people still didn't think it was quite the end yet. And now it feels like they're they're making this decision. They're definitely moving on. So. It'll be interesting to see. I think people are excited to see Daniel Jones. So there will at least be some excitement surrounding the Giants, which has not existed recently. So that's something at least. And we're going to lead into another team in our bottom five that are also had some quarterback news over the last uh, the last couple hours from Monday night into Tuesday morning. And that's the New York Jets. And uh, they, they announced on Tuesday morning that backup quarterback Trevor Simeon is out for the year after tearing some ligaments in his ankle, which anybody who watched the Monday night game against Cleveland will not be surprised that Trevor Simeon had a season ending ankle injury. But that means that Luke Falk is going to start Sunday against the New England Patriots, setting out there. I believe they're um, more than a 21-point underdog uh, going to Foxborough to play the Patriots next week. So, you know, Amy, what's your kind of takeaway from this the Jets debacle right now, everything that's been going on with their quarterback situation, drama with Jamal Adams, and kind of the fallout from that Monday night loss to the Browns? Yeah, I mean, it's about as disastrous of a start of a season that they could have ever imagined. Um, it's just as bad as it gets right now. You know, Luke Falk, I mean, if you don't know who he is, I don't blame you. He was drafted by the Titans in the sixth round of the 2018 draft. He played college football at Washington State. And, you know, I just don't think they ever thought they were going to have to play him. So they don't particularly trust him. He didn't really do anything that awful in, in his relief last night, but they certainly 
don't want him to be their starting quarterback going forward. And, you know, I, right now there seems to be some issues with the coaching staff there. To, you know, Adam Gase, the, this isn't about a nightmare start for him. You know, there's already going to be a lot of questioning of the decisions that he's making. And his whole thing was kind of he was going to come in and be the quarterback guy and work specifically with Sam Darnold. But now Sam Darnold is out with mono and we don't know exactly when he's going to be back you know they do have i believe they have a week four bye so they have an early bye so he could potentially be back after the bye which wouldn't be that long but it definitely feels long when their upcoming schedule is at new england at philadelphia against the cowboys and then New England again. So they really have a brutal schedule. So yeah, this is about as bad of a start as you can imagine. And then yeah, Jamal Adams stuff is just again kind of speaks to whatever coaching drama is going on. It seems like he's unhappy with he was I believe that he was um, benched at the end of the game yesterday toward the end of the game. He was not thrilled about that. And then today, there were some reports that he removed the Jets from his Twitter bio, the way or Instagram, social media platform bios. Uh, this is how news breaks these days. It's like uh, constantly monitoring players' social media accounts. But there's some drama there, some questions about maybe he wants to get out now and that there's some, you know, he doesn't get along with whomever it is there. So that's not great. <laughs> and there, yeah, I mean, really, it's about as bad of a situation as it can get there right now, because they're currently staring at their 0-2 now. Uh, and they're staring at a really difficult upcoming four games. And they could, it's, I, I think it's very easy to imagine that they'll be 0-6. So really bad for them. <laughs> and, um, you know, we'll see when Darnold is able to come back. Their schedule does get easier. So Perhaps it's a situation where if they can steal a couple of these really difficult games, they could potentially then be getting a healthy Darnold back. And then maybe they'll do, you know, some of those you see those teams with the kind of midseason, late season runs. And but it's really hard to see that happening right now, especially with a couple of, you know, CJ Mosley was out yesterday and they just looked really, really bad. And so it's difficult to imagine them getting out of our, uh, you know, low 20s rankings. Yeah. And yet they're not the only dysfunctional team that's going on in our bottom five right now. The the Jacksonville no. Jaguars, who remain at number 28 for the second week in a row, um, despite Gardner Minshew's kind of legendary uh, pregame attire and mustache and press conferences, uh, the Jags are a mess. And we'd be remiss without if we didn't mention Jalen Ramsey and the sideline blow up that he had with Doug Marone with his head coach uh, during Sunday's game against the Texans and then his subsequent trade demand. So we're seeing this type of thing happening around the league. It's not just Jamal Adams, who's disgruntled right now. We saw Minka Fitzpatrick traded away from the Miami Dolphins on Monday night. He's now with the Pittsburgh Steelers after he demanded a trade and kind of forced his way out. And now Jalen Ramsey is the next young defensive back who is looking to get out. And it'll be very interesting to see if the Jags are able to get um, get a good offer for him because Jalen Ramsey is very adamant that he's the, the best cornerback in the NFL. He's, he believes that. I think his play backs him up. I think there's a couple other guys you could put into that conversation. You know, Stephon Gilmore with uh, the Patriots, Chris Harris with the Broncos. There's a couple of those other guys. But Jalen Ramsey would command at least a first-round pick. And sounds like the Jags might be looking for, you know, multiple first-round picks, which I don't know if anybody's going to give that up. But you would think it'd be at least a first-round pick and maybe, maybe a player or, or an additional lower-round pick that could get that done. And 
get get Ramsey out of what's become a pretty untenable situation there between him and his head coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you'd think if they, you know, it seems like acting soon would be the best option for them in terms of the value that they can get back. I think I think you'll definitely see a lot of teams that will be interested. Um, and so if they want to get something similar to what the Dolphins got for someone like Minka Fitzpatrick, they just got a first rounder. And so, you know, they. I think that... I think that the Jaguars believe that they can get that, and I think they will get that, but they they, they probably are going to want to act soon on this if it really is as bad of a situation as it appears to be based on that sideline blow-up. Yeah, and they, um, have, they have the added caveat of playing the Thursday night game this week. So uh, right. that's an, a little extra added challenge if they want to try to move on from a player while they're also game planning for a starter. But, you know, so that'll be, you know, some drama to watch. If we could get a Jalen Ramsey cam from NFL Network, uh, that I would like to request that just to kind of keep on him throughout the game. It might be more interesting than other parts of Jags Titans going on. So. Um, with all that said, I think it's time we should move into the teams that are playing well and that are functional. So let's get into our top five. Uh, we have a couple new teams there, including our number five team, the Baltimore Ravens, who moved up two spots from number seven. Uh, number four, the Dallas Cowboys. Number three, the LA Rams. Number two, the Kansas City Chiefs. And number one, uh, the New England Patriots. Uh, one of the things that I noticed since we posted the power rankings on Tuesday morning is that We've had some commenters complaining that we have the Ravens too high at number five. Um, Amy, Mm. how do you feel about this top five and especially having the Ravens uh, in there at number five? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the right top five. And I think that, look, we can only do so much in terms of second week of the season. We do have to kind of react to what we have seen on the field and what we have seen on the field. And if we are reacting a little bit to what's going on off the field, the AFC North certainly seems like the Ravens are in the driver's seat right now with the recent events of Ben Roethlisberger going down. Uh, You know, they've played really well. Lamar Jackson continues to show what he can do. He continues to show that he's an excellent passer as well. And they certainly look like one of the teams to beat in the entire conference right now. And I know it's only two games in, but, you know, and I know that they played the Cardinals and the Dolphins, so they obviously have an easy schedule, but you have to win the easy games too. And they look really good doing them. And obviously we're going to know a lot more about them this week because they play the Chiefs, which is the only team that Lamar Jackson lost to in the regular season last year when he came in um, toward the in the middle of the season last year. That was the only team that he did lose to in the regular season. So that'll be really interesting and really fun uh, rematch to kind of see. And that's at Kansas City. So that's going to be really, really difficult. So we're going to have a much clearer indication very quickly about what the Ravens and what Lamar Jackson really look like. But right now, I mean, I have no qualms with having them in the top five. They've played, they've looked like one of the best teams in the league. So I'm not, you know, I feel like that's a correct evaluation to this point and we'll you know we'll be able to tell very soon whether we need to to move them back what do you think and uh, yeah i agree and i absolutely believe that the cowboys right now also belong in the top oh, five hundred you know i think we've had yeah. a couple of people say oh they're that they're overrated um but the fact is is that they um they've looked really good they look like they're a very complete team right now uh dak prescott you he's completing 82 percent of his passes right now through through, t- mm-hmm. through two games and for a guy who had you know accuracy issues coming out of college. And that was kind of one of the concerns about him and how much more accurate could he get in the NFL. And, um, you know, he's been so good. And this is not a system that's protecting him. I mean, they're taking a lot of deep shots. They're doing a lot of creative things on offense. 
uh, Kellen Moore has kind of really elevated that Cowboys offense in his first two games as a play caller. And it just really goes to show how boring and predictable the Cowboys were under Scott Linehan over the last few years. So I think they absolutely deserve their spot in the, in the top five right there at number four. And uh, we do have, there are two kind of key injuries though, situations to watch with the Cowboys moving forward, their safety, Xavier Woods. Um, he came out with a, I believe a foot injury um, after the game against uh, Washington. And then Michael Gallup, their, uh, one of their starting wide receivers who lines up there kind of opposite Amari Cooper. Uh, he's He had kind of a minor knee procedure and is going to miss a couple weeks. Doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term thing with him, but he has been a very important piece so far of that offense as they're trying to move guys around and um, run a lot of go routes. So those are two two things to watch there um, a little bit as we... Uh, um, as we kind of get for, move forward and seeing what our top five might look like uh, in, in coming weeks. Yeah. And the uh, just to, one more thing on Prescott, he's obviously looked incredible. And through two games, he's averaging 10.6 net yards per pass play, which is even above Pat Mahomes. Um, and as you said, 82% of his passes and the only interception that he's thrown went off his receiver's hand. So, you know, he's having an incredible start. We'll see if he's able to, to keep it up. Um, but they look great right now. The Rams are back in the three spot after. And I really think uh, something that we saw last week or on Sunday was the Cooper Cup and just how much he matters to that team. And we saw that Im- incredible 60 Six and a half, I think it ended up being. He didn't get the touchdown, which was unfortunate. His knee went down right, uh, right before the goal line. But you know, an incredible physical feat of of that pass play that he made. And you know, we see what he offers having him back. What what that does to that offense and and the weapon that that gives Jared Goff. So they're back in the three spot. And then you know, obviously, right now to me. I think the top two seem like they're kind of in their own universe. The the, the Chiefs in, in New England are, I don't think anyone's arguing with with that. Risers and fallers. So now we're going to get into our risers and fallers of the week. And this week, kind of all the attention is on uh, these fallers. So kind of unsurprisingly here, although there was some variance, we'll get into that. But the Saints took a huge tumble. They went from number three last week to number 12. Obviously, this is because we found out that Drew Brees is going to miss significant time with surgery, thumb surgery, and Teddy Bridgewater is going to be their starter going forward. So they took quite the fall. And the Panthers, uh, before we learned uh, the news that Cam Newton will not be practicing this week, which obviously sounds like he's going to be sidelined perhaps as well this weekend. They fell eight spots after their dud against the Bucks on Thursday night. And we could kind of tell that something was up with Cam. Obviously, his numbers, you know, they were just he wasn't really being used in the rushing game. And he just his passing was all off as well. He just did not look good at all. And so it's not that surprising that he is he seems to be dealing with with an injury. So the Saints, uh, Lindsay, there was some difference in our panelists. I had them at 15. I think I had them the lowest of all of our panelists. Um, where did you have them? Yeah, so this is one of my my favorite parts about tabulating these power rankings. And just a reminder that uh, these are, are we have a panel of national reporters and editors and columnists and film analysts and draft guys that go through and actually vote on these. And the list, the number one through 32 that you see on The Athletic, it's 
the uh, the tabulation of all of those votes. Um, but so it's, it's interesting to go back through and look at how our panel voted. And there were two teams that had pretty substantial variation this week. One was the Arizona Cardinals, who uh, one of our voters had them as high as number 20, and, an, and another panelist had them as low as number 30. They ended up there at number 26. Um, but the Saints, we also were not in agreement across our panel about where the Saints should land. One of our voters had them as high as number six, which was, you know, just would have been just a three spot drop from last week. Um, and then two others had them at number 19. So, you know, they were, we were kind of all over the board there of, uh, of how people felt about the Saints. And I think that just really speaks to um, how good one, the rest of the Saints roster is, how good their defense is, um, you know, their, their secondary, their pass rush, um, how well coached they are with Sean Payton. And then, you know, what we feel about their backup quarterback situation. And they have to be feeling pretty good about paying Teddy Bridgewater premium quarterback backup quarterback money this offseason. But, you know, we were kind of all over the place. I mean, I think I had them 13. Amy, you had them 15. They ended up 12. Um, but, you know, we were kind of all over. So I'm very interested to see kind of how they function with Teddy Bridgewater because, you know, they re-signed him for a reason. I mean, he had a chance to go and start in Miami and Thank goodness for him. I think that he did not. And thank goodness for the Saints that he chose to go back to New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely in one of the best positions with their backup, at least. You know, he's not a complete unknown. It's not like Luke Falk, like that people don't know who he is. Like, he's had experience. You know, he he's a good quarterback. He's been a good quarterback, but... There's just, and I think part of the reason I know that, you know, why I have them in 15, despite I do believe in Sean Payton and I do think they're an extremely talented roster, but we just don't really know anything about them when Breeze isn't their quarterback. Like he's started 207 of 210 regular season games and the ones he hasn't, they've lost. You know, it's it's just the idea of, even though we've kind of had to grapple with the idea of what they would look like without him as he's, you know, 40, uh, we've we haven't really come to terms, especially with the way that he played so effectively and so well last year. We haven't really thought about what it might look like without him. And and now we're going to see. And, you know, they're in a good position, like we said, with Teddy Bridgewater. But it's still it completely changes the dynamic. And, and you know, I just think it's really tough to imagine that they're they're just going to be able to plug somebody else in and. and and play the same way. So we'll see. It'll be, you know, the NFC South is is becoming very interesting. You know, the Bucks got a win. Uh, their defense looks, the Bucks defense looks pretty good with Todd Bowles. And, and you know, the Falcons beat the Eagles, I think, after, after looking really flat in week one. So now, you know, it, it looks, you know, again, only two games in, but kind of like a bit of an open division. So we'll see how that all plays out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's not the best situation for the Saints uh, week three. They've actually stayed out on the West Coast. They had the game against the Rams and then they went up to Seattle and they're in Seattle all week training there. Um, so that's where kind of Teddy Bridgewater is getting his install for his you know, kind of first real stint to be a starting quarterback since he's, since he suffered that devastating knee injury a couple of years ago with the Vikings. Um, so let's just flip up, flip over and go to the teams that um, are, are risers this week. And there were a couple, um, uh, a couple that I was actually a little bit surprised about. The, uh, the Detroit Lions were our biggest riser. They went up nine spots after beating the Chargers at home. Um, the San Francisco 49ers went up eight spots. They've been kind of all over the map for us dating back to the preseason. But the Niners are up eight spots after two road wins, both on the East, both of them on the East Coast. They spent an entire week in Ohio, um, and they looked really impressive against the Bengals. And then the Bills are up seven spots 
after completing their MetLife Stadium sweep, where they went back-to-back games and beat the Jets and the Giants. So they are officially can crown themselves the champions of the New York, New Jersey region. And I have to give a shout out. I mentioned this in the blurbs at the power rankings that are up on our, uh, up on the athletics website, but I loved that Josh Allen so quickly called out a New York city area reporter who, uh, who said there was an assumption that, you know, there was a chance that he could have ended up in New York. And he said right back, I am in New York. Lest anybody forget that <laughs> Buffalo is actually it in the state of New York. Of New York. <laughs> yes. Our editor, our NFL editor, Lisa Wilson, a proud uh, Buffalo resident, I think would, uh, would appreciate Josh Allen's um, knowledge of his geography. So those are the risers. Uh, I was a little surprised that Detroit went up that high. I guess we were just really disappointed about them week one. And maybe it just says a lot about how some other teams fell. Yeah, I can't tell what any of us think about the Lions. (laughs) Like, I feel like even Chris Burke, I think you mentioned this in your blurb, even our our beat writer, Lions beat writer, just kind of like, they just kind of stole one from from the Chargers. And it was definitely a weird game. There were some weird events that happened in it with one particular drive where the Chargers just kind of couldn't stop, you know, hitting themselves in the face, basically, and and, and annulled, you know, a touchdown. and, And it was just very sloppy. But at the same time, you know, they they don't have a loss. So they're, you know, they're in second place, I think, in the NFC North now. And I just think that we're not sure what to think about them. And we don't know. We haven't really seen enough from them yet to totally know. So I think that's why it seems like, you know, they lose and they get really, we push them really far down and they win. And we're like, oh, wait, but then there are these other teams that definitely seem to be worse. So, you know, that's just a team that we're going to have to keep an eye on and try to get a better gauge of what exactly they're they're capable of, because I think we're still trying to figure that out exactly. So, um, and also shout out to our prediction, one of our writers in our preseason predictions who, let us not forget, picked the Buffalo Bills to win the AFC East and they're 2-0. Like, who knows what's going to happen? That guy's looking great right now, you know, two games in. If we just end the predictions at two games, that that person is going to, that person can just, you know, retire and say he knew all along, but I don't think they're going Although to Although they probably would lose some sort of tiebreaker right now to the Patriots. Probably to the Patriots to win the division. Scored. Yeah, I would yes. say, for sure. <laughs> but shout out nonetheless. Before it all goes wrong for that voter, I would like to just acknowledge him again his belief in the bills and if he chooses to identify himself later on he's more than welcome to join us here we'll have you on the podcast for sure unidentified bills believer power up power down all right so now we're going to get into our last segment as we do each and every week it's our time to power up or power down and amy i'm going to let you kick it off today what are you going to power up or power down to wrap up Uh, our week three podcast. Yeah, mine's going to be kind of short and sweet. And it's going to be a little bit of a callback to what I did last week. I went on this very much too long rant about kickers and the Chicago Bears in particular. And I want to power up their kicker today, Eddie Pinheiro, who ended up kicking a 53-yard game-winning field goal to win the game for a very bizarre game against the Broncos, which we can power down some of the other things that happened in, in that ending sequence. But, you know... I talked a lot about the weird situation of the kicking in Chicago and how they wouldn't kind of stop obsessing over it and the focus was all on the kicking. But they turned to him on Sunday for a 53-yard game winner and he nailed it. And it was, you know, a really emotional moment and kind of watching him celebrate. And it was it was cool to see. And it's a huge it's it's impossible to imagine the amount of pressure that's on him in a moment like that when you know that you're going to become the immediate you know, scapegoat if if you if you miss. So I thought that was 
that was a fun moment. And, and it was, I'd like to power up Eddie Pinero for handling that pressure that I talked about last week and all of the, the kind of mountain of pressure that they put on his shoulders. And he, and he handled it and he nailed that field goal and he won the game for the Bears. So power up to you, Eddie. Good job. Um, and I will, I will say before we get too excited, I'm just going to be a little Debbie Downer though, because it was perfect kicking conditions it, at high altitude. Totally was. So I'm, like, it was Bears awesome. So he, it was awesome that it was he made just it. Like, <laughs> man, I want to see him on a windy day back in yeah, Soldier Field. He was definitely lucky how that gonna go. uh, <laughs> the circumstance was as it was, but still, 53 yards with like all of the weird stuff that's gone on with the kicking. It, it was probably a little bit of a boost to his own confidence, and, and so that was that was cool to see. But right. yeah, Eddie, I mean, watch out for any future worse conditions. All right. So I'm going to, I guess it's a power down. It's really, I'm pouring one out for Eli Manning and the end of an era, really. And not just the end of the Eli Manning era in New, in New Jersey, but kind of the Manning era in the NFL. So outside of the one weird weekend in 2017 that we mentioned when the Giants inexplicably, uh, their, their former coach Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning in favor of Geno Smith, this is going to be the first weekend since 1998 that we haven't had a Manning, one of the Manning brothers starting in the NFL. And, uh, you know, it, we're also going to be without a, another guy from that draft class and Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees isn't playing. So it really feels like this is kind of an end of an era, you know, or that this, this the, these new quarterbacks are really kind of taking over. But, you know, when we look at what Peyton Manning and Eli Manning have done over 20 years, I mean, they were just such a constant in the NFL. I mean, if you go back to the fall of 1998, I was a senior in high school. Amy, you were probably in elementary school, which is going to make me feel really old. But I mean, they have been such a constant in our lives and in the NFL. And, you know, it's they both had, you know, kind of rough endings with the team that uh, drafted them or traded for them on draft weekend in Eli Manning's case. And, you know, they really kind of showed that how how endings aren't always happy in the NFL. Peyton Manning obviously got his happy ending and that he won a Super Bowl his final year, but that was a really awful year, mostly for him. Uh, he had injuries. He missed a lot of games. He played really poorly, kind of endured a lot of criticism about his play and ultimately won his Super Bowl. But, you know, I think we just need to appreciate what this era was like of having, you know, more than 20 years of uh, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning playing quarterback in the NFL. And I tweeted this earlier, but now we're going to start the clock and waiting on uh, Cooper Manning's oldest son, Arch, who is a high school quarterback in New Orleans to kind of be the next generation Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. I was no, thinking so Marshall. Cooper, yeah, I forgot uh, about Cooper's, Cooper's oldest son, son is, uh, <laughs> is playing quarterback in New Orleans. I believe he's, he's kind of early in high school right now, um, already kind of getting a little bit of attention as a quarterback prospect. So it's going to be a while, I think, until we see another Manning in the NFL. But, you know, I, he's he's got the pedigree for it. And uh, so we'll, we'll see. We'll, we're waiting for you, Arch. Give it, uh, you know, in 10 years or so. Uh, thank you for listening. And Lindsay Jones, actually, was just the host of our athletics brand new podcast called The Lead, where she dives pretty deep into the Patriots and the Antonio Brown situation. Again, that's called The Lead, um, the athletics new daily sports podcast. And you can hear our own Lindsay Jones talk about Antonio, Antonio Brown and the situation with the Patriots there. So definitely give that a listen. And we'll be back here on Thursday for our bonus episode of the Power Rankings podcast on the athletic app for our Athletic subscribers. Um, I'm Lindsay Jones. And I'm Amy Perlopiano, and we will see you guys then. Hey, listeners, Kent Garrison here, producer of the NFL Power Rankings podcast. Wanted to give you guys a sneak peek of a new podcast 
that Amy mentioned called The Lead. We recently had Lindsay Jones from this podcast on there to talk about the Antonio Brown situation. Wanted to give you a preview of that right now. But The Lead comes out every single day. If you want more of this, subscribe. Go to your iTunes, go to your Spotify, wherever you're listening to this right now, subscribe to The Lead. Go to theathletic.com slash The Lead for more. Enjoy this preview. Last week, some major news rocked the NFL. New allegations overnight against NFL star Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has been accused of rape in a new lawsuit. In the suit filed in the Southern District of Florida, the 28-year-old claims Brown sexually assaulted her on three occasions in 2017 and 2018. The accusations against Brown came just days after he joined the New England Patriots. But despite those accusations, Brown played for the Patriots on Sunday. Antonio Brown, the newest Patriot, plunging into the stands in his hometown. And then just yesterday, new accusations emerged. And another allegation of sexual misconduct from an artist he hired to paint a portrait of him. Now the NFL and the Patriots need to figure out exactly what to do with Antonio Brown. Today, we're going to speak with The Athletic's Lindsay Jones about how the NFL has dealt with cases like this in the past and what that history tells us about the present. I'm Kavitha Davidson. It's Tuesday, September 17th, and this is The Lead. It felt like something great was happening. There was just something about the emotion and that moment. Yeah, the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. This isn't a story where you interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. So, Lindsay, everyone is talking about Antonio Brown right now. For those who aren't so firmly embedded in the NFL, can you just explain how big of a story this is? We've had a lot of kind of massive stories when it involves stars and their off-field behavior, but this one is right up there because Antonio Brown is one of probably the top five players in the NFL. I mean, you could argue based on position and positional value and all of these sorts of things, but this is a major story that's going to really test a lot of the things that the NFL says that it stands for right now in terms of um, player behavior and personal conduct policy when it comes to one of its very biggest stars. Right. Like this isn't just any player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one, a very high profile player. I mean, he's uh, very out there on his social media. He's one of the highest paid wide receivers. Um, and he's been an all pro for year after year after year. So he's a very good player with a very high profile. And the Antonio Brown story was already bizarre, which we'll get into a little later. But now it's taken a complete left turn with him being accused of sexual assault. How how has the league dealt with serious accusations like this in the past? You know, NFL players were not really penalized very harshly for their behavior off the field in previous eras. Um, it was kind of a system of, we're going to let law enforcement 